Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Okay, so this series, um, through the whole point of this series is asking ourselves the question, if Christ is truly the Lord of my life, shouldn't I, in many ways, look different than people who Christ is not the Lord of their life? And in what ways, in ev- how can I make Christ Lord of my life in every corner, every aspect of how I handle it? A story that I've, I'm probably going to reference many times, but I've kind of been holding back. But I heard someone say one time that um, the knights, before they would go off on the crusades to fight in the Holy Land, they would get baptized and they would hold their right arm with their sword out of the water while they got baptized as a sort of message of, I'm getting baptized, but I know that I'm about to do not great things with my sword. And what ways do we do the same thing when we choose to follow Christ and make him our Lord? What things do we hold above our head as we say, okay, I'll surrender to you, God, but not this. I'm going to hold this out of the water. Not this, not that, not the other. So we're going to go through this series of different topics of what does it look like if we make Christ the Lord of this component of our life. So for today, I want to ask you a question. I want you to think, do you think that you are a fast or slow walker? Do you walk quickly or do you walk slow? I remember growing up, there was a a family from our church, the Halls, Betty and Reagan Hall, that bought six season tickets every year to the A&M games. And they had four children. And if it was a serious game... They took my family instead of their children because they didn't want to have to wrangle their children. Um, but if it wasn't, wasn't serious, they'd take their kids. But So I got to go to some only the big games, only when it was A&M Texas or A&M OU. I only got to go to the big ones. And what I remember, though, is after the game was done, Mr. Hall was the fastest walker I had ever seen in my entire life. As we were trying to get out of there, get to the car, to, I literally, as like a young kid, maybe you know, seven, I'm like jogging as he's just power walking out of there. Some of you may be like that. Some of you may be a slow walker. I also have, as a, a dad with young children, with nieces and nephews, I've done a few family vacations now where the whole family says, let's go on a hike. You will not believe how slowly you can hike somewhere when you have lots of little children needing to stop for a snack, for a drink. I'm hot. A bug bit me. Okay, let's keep walking. Oh, man, it is is a lot. Now I want you to think to yourself, am I a fast talker or a slow talker? I think you all know the answer for me. Um, But how many of you, whenever you sit in a conversation, you enjoy a slow talk? And how many of you, when someone is speaking slowly, you're just kind of like checking your pulse to make sure you know you're still alive okay and now how many of you are a fast or slow eater uh, I, I wish um, Colton were here today because I could brag on him. That boy can put away a foot-long sub so fast. I mean, no joke, like, like three and a half minutes. And it's, he, but he's, I'm, I'm also someone where uh, if ever I'm busy and I'm working and I, I go, okay, I'm going to just make a sandwich. I, before I realize it, and, or, or, or I'll, let's say it's dinner time, and I helped Catherine and we're in the kitchen. We cook this meal that took us you know, 30, 45 minutes to cook. And then it's like, man, we just ate that in like three minutes. You know, that's if you're a fast eater. You know, there's, in Europe, especially in places like Italy and France, you know, they will take three or four hours to eat dinner. They'll start dinner at like 9 p.m. and then they'll eat until like midnight. Um, So 
Obviously, there's differences. But all of this, all of this is going to, I'm hopefully getting you to think about the question, what would you say is your pace of life? Are, is your pace quick? Is your pace slow? It's often reflected in how quickly we talk, or how quickly we walk, or how quickly you drive places, or how quickly you eat dinner. And I am here to kind of look at two, uh, I'm here to tell you about two things that have to do with that, because today's topic is, oh, today's topic is, is Christ the Lord of my time? Okay, if Christ is really the Lord of my life, is the Lord of my time. And the two things are, Christ has to be Lord of our pace of life. Our pace needs to look like our teacher and our king's pace. Remember when I talked to you about what it means to be a disciple? Is you are literally apprenticing for Jesus. So these disciples, when Jesus walked through towns in two places, they did not walk faster than Jesus. They did not walk slower than Jesus. They walked at his pace everywhere they went. When Jesus sat down to eat dinner, they ate as fast or as slow as Jesus. No amount of how quickly they ate or how slow they ate changed. Jesus is going to be sitting at this dinner table for a certain amount of time, and you're going to be with him. And when he says it's time to go, you're going to go. You have his pace. And the other part of this, which is the part that's very challenging for me, so first, Christ is Lord of our pace. Second, Jesus moved at a pretty slow pace. And if you're like me, I'm a pretty fast mover. And it's going to be challenging for me to preach this sermon and realize that a lot of what I'm telling you, I am very bad at. Because as the Lord of my time and the Lord of my pace, I am someone who is constantly in a hurry, constantly in a rush, because I've got so many things that I've got to do. We're going to, look at, we're going to talk about a bunch of different things, but we're going to look at two major texts. And so let me introduce the first text, which in my opinion is probably the, you know, I don't know, the seminal text for me on Jesus' pace of life. It comes from Mark 5. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I want to introduce the story to you. Jesus, he's crossed on over the lake, and a large crowd is just gathered, packed in around him. And one of the synagogue leaders, his name is Jairus, has came, and he's rushed up to Jesus. He falls at his feet, which would be completely embarrassing for a, a leader, a man back then. And he pleads, my daughter is dying. Whenever you have something like that, you, all pretenses is thrown out the window. My little girl is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she may be healed and live. And so Jesus went with him. So this is serious. This is important. Come on, my daughter's dying. Let's go. And this large crowd is pressed around Jesus. And so starting in verse 25 of Mark 5. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she got worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, let me make sure. I'm, at once, Jesus realized the power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? The disciples say, You see people crowding against you, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? There's tons of people around here running into all of us. Of course, we don't know. There's a bunch of people just touched you. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, you know, I, I wonder what Mark, if Mark's trying to imagine Jesus is kind of waiting for her, or if he's, you're supposed to get the idea, he's like, I wonder who it was, I'm looking around. And she comes, which she didn't have to do, and she, knowing what had happened to her, she came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. 
He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Now remember, in the Bible, when Jesus says you are saved and you are healed, they mean the same thing. When he says to someone, you are saved, when he says to someone, you are healed, they mean the same thing in Jesus. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. When I think about, the reason I use this story is when I think about the Gospels and I think about Jesus' life, I feel like the majority of the stories are people interrupting Jesus in order for him to heal them. When the friends lower the man through the roof, the story wasn't, and Jesus heard that there was a man that was crippled and he went and he healed the crippled man. No, the story is Jesus has his thing he's doing. He's teaching in that room. And these people interrupt his sermon, like if I were preaching and all of a sudden someone barged in through those doors and said, hey, I need help right now. If I were like Jesus, I would say, we got to help this person. If my agenda was a bigger deal, I would say, hey, sorry, I've got a lot going on right here. Don't you see I'm preaching right now? Jesus, he has a big thing that he's got going on. He is going to save a little girl. On his way there. Actually, in some ways, he was, he was already interrupted by someone of what he was doing to go save the daughter. And now another person has come. And I'm guessing that Jairus and maybe his disciples, Jairus is like, what are you doing? Don't stop. Come on. I'm guessing the disciples are like, Jesus, come on. We got to go, man. Come on. But he stops and he's willing to be interrupted. And when I think about this, Jesus, he was incredibly interruptible to the broken people who inserted themselves into his story because he had a pace of life that had room for people to come and be a part of it. And do I have a pace of life where I have room for gospel burning bush moments to enter into my life? Dallas Willard, a guy I never quote, he has this incredible, he has this amazing quote where he says he had a a person who I really respect and quote often to, John Mark Comer, asked him on the phone one time, he said, what must I do to become someone who grows in my spiritual life? And Willard, after pausing on the phone, he said, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. If you want to grow spiritually and you're in a rush, it's not going to happen. But if you'll slow down and not be in a hurry, you know, easier said than done, then you have a chance to grow spiritually. By the way, John Mark Comer has a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry that is incredibly good and I, I couldn't recommend it more. So let me talk about a few things. First, let's talk about this pace of Jesus' hospitality. How many of you know, if I say, think of the most hospitable person you know? And I'm talking Southern hospitality. Come into their home, an amazing spread, and they've, you know, oh, make yourself comfortable. Can I take your coat? Even though we never wear coats here. Can I, uh, you know, oh, feel free. Wear your shoes if you want. Take off your shoes. Whatever you want. Make yourself at home. I've got tea. Would you like sweet tea? Would you like regular tea? You know, think of those people, okay? That is a certain hospitality of, hey, my space, my home is for you to feel comfortable, right? Jesus had a pace of hospitality where he did the same thing with his time, not just his location. He was able to say, hey, my space and my time is for you to come and feel comfortable and for you to come and feel welcome. If Christ is my Lord, my time will look more hospitable to people. Now let's talk about the pace of humility. I've already kind of mentioned this, but I want you to think about for a second, if you are an employee with a boss and you're working in your cubicle or your office and your boss comes in and says, hey, um, so last week's numbers, last month's numbers are, he just came and interrupted what you were doing, right? Or she came in and interrupted what you were doing, correct? 
If you, as the low employee, came to your boss's office and knocked and said, listen, you showed up 30 minutes late, you showed up, that would not be protocol, right? The boss is allowed to come into your inter- office and interrupt you, but you are not allowed to go into the boss's office and interrupt them, right? So it demonstrates that part of the way we live is that we tend to feel like we are uninterruptible if we think our agenda is the top agenda. If Catherine comes and says, Drew, I've got something I need you to help me with. If I go, what do you think I'm doing? I've got all sorts of stuff I've got to do. What did I just teach? My agenda is more important than your agenda. And if I have humility like Jesus... Jesus, who had the greatest agenda of all agendas? Jesus Christ. No one has ever had a greatest agenda than Jesus, right? And who was the person who was most willing to say, you know what, I have my agenda, but I am going to humble myself, and I am going to be willing to say, I'm going to put your agenda above my own. Because I have that kind of pace of my having to get my way, my time. I'm going to, you know, you better watch out. This is what I've got to do, and I'm in a hurry, and I've got a lot going on. That's not who Jesus was. When we treat the least of these as people with the most important agenda and needs, it sounds a lot like Jesus saying, the first will be last, and the last will be first. And if Christ is my Lord, my time will have to take the back seat to other people's time and agenda. All right, the next one. The pace of margins. I'm going to read from a famous passage in Leviticus 23, 22. And hopefully when you hear this passage, you think of a a story that's a favorite of mine. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap the very edges of your field or gather the gleaning of your harvest. Don't gather the stuff that you missed. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord your God. He doesn't say because you need to. He just says, I'm the Lord. Because he is a God who says there are going to be people who are poor, who are immigrants, who are not going to have what they need. And you're going to get what you need from your crop and leave the margins for those people. And a famous story of this in the Old Testament is Ruth and Boaz. Because Ruth, she doesn't go expecting to get anything. What she's hoping for is that someone has left the margins of their field for her, the immigrant from Moab, to be able to get a little bit to provide for her family. And so with Christ, if he's Lord of my time, part of what we see with Christ is he did not cram his schedule so full Monday through Sunday. Well, I've got work to hear, and then I've got all this to hear. And then on Sunday, we've got baseball from here to here, and then this from here to here. And he didn't cram his schedule so full that when someone said, I would like to have a little bit of your time to enter into this, no way. I have no margin for you. But he cooked into the process. Jesus and God said, I want you to begin with margin purposefully factored in. And if we are moving too fast, we are going to miss these gospel moments, these Moses burning bushes, these bleeding women, this Jairus and his daughter, the the man coming through. We're going to miss them if we don't have the margin for that. And now I want to get to the other big text that I referenced earlier, the pace of Sabbath. Now I know many of you probably 
don't have much of a concept of Sabbath. If you grew up like me, Sabbath is something that's part of the Old Testament. We don't do the Sabbath anymore. We don't have to keep that anymore. But sadly, I think that's uh, something we've really missed out on um, because of some of our interpretations of, of, of Scripture. So let's read when Jesus gives this fourth command. Notice in the Ten Commandments, this is His fourth command. It is His longest commandment. And it is one of the only spiritual disciplines in the Ten Commandments. When you think of spiritual training, spiritual discipline, it's things like prayer, fasting, reading your Bible. There is nowhere in the Ten Commandments where it says, read your Bible. Notice that. It does not say in the Ten Commandments, go to church every Sunday. Obviously, it wouldn't have said that, but it doesn't say, go be with your faith community every Sunday. It also doesn't say, in the Ten Commandments, it does not say, pray every day. But it does say, Sabbath. It's very interesting. So let's read this. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Why do we do this? God is our Lord. God did this. So let me, I'm going to kind of read some of this. But God's rest day, it reminded the Israelites that they were no longer slaves who had to work 24-7. They had been freed from Pharaoh's rule, and the God that now ruled them, he had been ruling them, but the God that they served was a restful God, a God who had designed all creation for a pace of work and rest. I'll talk about it more on Wednesday night, but you've got to notice that when God created the world, he did not create day and then night. He created rest and then day. Every day in creation is night, then day. So you begin your day with God having you rest and then work, not the other, which we always do, which is work till we can't stop anymore and then rest. You're supposed to work out of your rest in God. Sabbath reminded people that they were finite. They could not constantly be on the go. And I know if you're like me, you're going, try me. Just watch me. There were limits to their energy, and we must honor that. Another professor of mine once said, Sabbath is our reminder once a week, just like tithing is our reminder once a week, that if you completely stop, if you, if with Sabbath, if you completely stop what you're doing, the universe will keep on operating without you. But many of us don't actually believe that. You are not the God who sustains creation. God is. Jewish Sabbath began in the evening when the whole family would set aside all their to-dos for the week. There would be prayers, blessings, food, all meant to represent delight and refreshment in the presence of God and family. Then in the morning, you would wake up, and as Adele Calhoun puts it, to a world that you didn't make and a friendship with God that you didn't earn. Over time, this day for delight became this sobering legalistic rule. The day God gave for rest became uh, rest from work became a new kind of work, to work to not do anything. So Jesus continually challenged the Jewish leaders on how they had missed the point of Sabbath. Man was not created for Sabbath. Sabbath was created for man. And they had missed that point of Sabbath as a restorative, recuperating gift. Are any of you tired of your pace of life? And you're thinking, well, I'm going to just do this now, and I'm going to hustle now, and there will come a time where this pace will change. That is not something that is technically possible because as you live your pace of life, you are training your body, hardwiring it to not be able to know any different. 
so that when later happens, it doesn't change. Maybe it's because you aren't following the pace and lifestyle modeled by Jesus of work and rest. I know I have to learn that. The, the model of Jesus of rest and work. John Mark Comer, he has this quote where he says, The Sabbath isn't just a 24-hour time slot in your weekly schedule. It's a spirit of restfulness that goes with you throughout your week. A way of living with ease, gratitude, appreciation, peace, and prayer. A way of working from rest, not for rest, with nothing to prove. A way of bearing fruit from abiding, not ambition. Walter Brueggemann has this quote, People who keep Sabbath live all seven days differently. Okay, so I know you're probably sitting there and you're thinking, Drew, are you seriously telling me that from Friday night at 6 p.m., well, or sundown, so 9 p.m., Friday night from 9 p.m. until Saturday at 9 p.m., I should do nothing? That would actually probably be an amazing thing for your life. But I know if you're like me, that doesn't feel really realistic. So I came up with one, two, three, four, five things that are possible applications of this, small to big, okay? So here's a small one, a very small one. Try, for your pace of life, try to have one meal a week with your family where you are all together. Some of you are like, oh, I do that all the time. Okay, good for you. Some of you are like, "Uh, I don't know. Y'all need to work on that one. Try to slow down enough to have one meal a week with everyone in your family. Now, I would say, hopefully, eventually you get to a place where every meal, or five meals a week. Okay. Number two, small. Drive the speed limit. Or drive under it, honestly. When I drive, sometimes from here to work, I'm just so in awe that I'm not in Katy traffic anymore. Like, I'll be going 45 in a 65. So, so one, drive with a sort of pace, okay? Where you're saying, I'm not too much in a hurry. Drive the speed limit. Okay, medium. When you get home from work... Put up your phone in the laundry room, not in your pocket, and treat it like a wall phone. Okay? If you want to slow down your life and not constantly feel the pressure of, I got to do this next, I got to do this next, take your phone when you get home, put it in your kitchen or your laundry room, turn it on loud, treat it like a wall phone for the rest of the night. And here's a big one. One day a week, here's a big one. One day a week, turn off your phone. Pick whatever day it is. I had a preacher, the preacher at Highland in Abilene when I was at ACU, Jonathan Stormont. He was a mentor in my mentoring group. What he would do is every Friday, he would give his children, his young children, his phone, and he would tell them to hide it and not tell them where they put it until the end of the day. And he told the whole church and all the elders, I will not have my phone on Friday so that I can be resting with my family. And they appreciated it because, you know what, they knew he would be a better minister the other six days of the week because of that. Another one... Uh, Another big one. One day a week, try to practice a day of rest from sundown to sundown with family, delighting in God. So here's my conclusion. If Christ is my Lord, I have to slow down to His pace and my soul will be nourished. And if you're sitting there thinking, oh, I don't know if I can do that. Christ is our Lord. That's the point of this series. Do not hold up out of the water your watch. Does that make sense? Now, I I hope you hear me say, I am terrible at this. This is going to be a real challenge for me. Yet, I know that if Christ is my Lord, I have to try and start doing this better because I want my children to see my dad so much sees Christ as his Lord that he's willing to do what the world would say looks crazy in order for him to follow his Lord. You know how crazy it made the Israelites look to the rest of the world that one day a week they didn't go out and stress and harvest 
Everyone else is barely putting food on the table. And this group of people is willing to take one of those seven days and not do anything? Are they crazy? You know why they did it? Because they had a God that they said, our God tells us to do this and we trust that he will give us what we need. Okay? A God that works from rest, then work. If Christ is my Lord, I have to slow down to his pace of life and my soul will be nourished. I have to move at his speed of humility, hospitality, love, margin, rest, so that I, I can experience the delight of God and the care for my soul enough to be able to live the rest of the week differently, to serve him with my work. If productivity, accomplishment, ambition, and success are my Lord, I have to cram every minute of every week with business, and my soul will wear thin or be lost, which is the way I spend most of my time, and I think many of us can relate to that. So I encourage you to choose Christ and to choose His lifestyle, His pace for you as His Lord. If any of you would like to know more about Christ being your Lord, or if you have anything that you'd like prayer requests about, we're going to have elders standing at the doors while we stand and while we sing this song.